0: to another episode of For the Love of Sports. My name is Michael Raziel, and this is a show where I can talk to people in business and sports and everything that happens in between. Today, I have the legend. Legend? I can call you a legend, right? At least here in New Jersey, we can call you a legend. Does that mean I'm old? Okay, great point. <laughs> the um, the youthful legend, Dave Poppin, CEO of Hilltop Management and play-by-play announcer. Dave, how you doing today, man? Doing great. Thanks for having me, Mike. Pleasure is all mine. I see a lot of Yankee stuff in the background, though. That's the only problem. It's a lot of baseball stuff.
1: There's some Hank Aaron there. There's some uh, Warren Spawn Spawn Insane and Pray for Rain over my shoulder and Willie Mickey and the Duke up there. I'm a Yankee fan, but there's uh, a lot of all kinds of baseball stuff in this room.
0: I love it, man. And yes, you've, you've called a, a few baseball games, I'm assuming, in your life. But there's a, a lot of different stuff we get to talk about here, your entire journey through play-by-play. Obviously, everything you're doing on the media, the marketing, the management side, the event side as well. But the first question I have for everybody, Dave, on the for the love of sports podcast is why do you love sports so much
1: you know it's fun uh the announcing part i love it because it's unpredictable and because it's a creative outlet and because you need to be prepared for anything so um i i like the prep and i like the research and then there's the performing part too which i'm a little bit of a ham so uh that's helpful um, to have both, you know, to have the analytical side and then to have the creative side. I mean, I'm also a singer and um, I've done all kinds of voiceovers, you name it. So um, it's a good creative outlet for me that I mean, and sports themselves are fun. You know, it's unpredictable. It's the, it's the toy department of the newspaper, they say. And, and I think the same is, is with broadcasting.
0: I love I've never heard that the toy department, maybe because we don't have newspapers anymore. So maybe, maybe it's the so. Toy department of the Internet or Twitter, maybe <laughs> the, the nice part of Twitter, or at least you know, I actually take that back. There's no such thing as a nice part of Twitter. But with, um, you know, with that being said, as you said, you're, you're kind of a ham. You get into it a little bit. We've seen, you know, through the NBA bubble a little bit. We're having some fun. Mike Breen broke out two bangs the other day on the Lucas step back. I don't I Apparently that took the broadcasting world by complete surprise, which I thought was hysterical. But at what point in your life do you think like, Hey, I not only do I want to watch sports for a living, I want to tell everybody what's happening while I'm watching sports for a living. Uh, the awakening for me came when I was 16, uh, when my high school
1: basketball coach pulled me aside and said, listen, you know, I'll put you on the team, but you're probably going to be the 12th or 13th man. You're not really going to get into the game unless we're up or down by 30 points. Or here's a video camera. You can record the games and be of more use that way. And Uh, help us scout, scout ourselves. And, and I happened to uh, grab a buddy and he had the camera, I had the microphone and I did uh, rosters and I called the game uh, into the uh, camera. And it was, it was like a natural, the coaches are like, what do you want to do with your life? I said, I want to be a lawyer. They said, don't be a lawyer. That's boring. Do this. And so I went to Miami to do that and to be a broadcaster. And they had such great teams there and I got to do a lot of games there on the air on the radio station WVUM. So I think from a pretty early age, uh, I knew that I had
0: an aptitude for it. Well, shout out for the, to that coach for putting you down nice and uh, nice and easy there. Hey, you're you're probably not going to get to play. Uh, you want to make yourself useful. to uh, Videotape these games. So I think that is pretty awesome. Good um, coaching. <laughs> yes, yeah, very good coaching. Yeah, good good on his part. Good on his part. And I guess like with with play by play, as you said, it is this creative outlet. Now it's. It's interesting that you say that. And I'm kind of curious where you're coming from because to the average fan or a normal person, it's, you're just telling us what's happening throughout the game. Obviously, as you said, there's statistics, there's, there's some creativity. Everybody's got a fun catchphrase that they like to use. How do you really work your creativity and your personality into a play-by-play broadcast while, you know, you're, you're telling me what's happening. How do you then infuse your own personality and creativity into that? It's hard for me not to, um,
1: because I have a sense of humor and I get excited and and that you have to be you, you know, and wherever that leads you, you. You can't be fake because the audience can pick that up in a second. And if they can pick it up, if you're smiling or if you're frowning, even if it's radio. Um, so you have to just be natural and go for it. And I think the most important thing is that it's not about you. You know, nobody watches the game for the play-by-play announcer except the play-by-play announcer's mother. That's the old adage. And they want to see the game. They want the score. They want to know the situation. So if you consider the listener, as Marty Glickman used to say, um, and, and you treat the audience on radio as if they were blind, then you'll be good, and, and you'll be doing them a service, and you'll be thought of highly as an announcer. Quick story for you. Uh, when I was doing the LIU-Brooklyn Games – uh, basketball, my engineer was actually blind. His name was Rich Kurlander. And one of the early games, my first season there, he pulled me aside and he said, listen, you need to be more descriptive. You know, I want to be able to see the game. Is it left? Is it right? Is it in the corner? What's the crowd look like? All of these things like the audience is blind like me. And that informed my style. So I have a very descriptive play by play style that I think sets me apart from some other people. Um, it's a little busy but it's exciting and and you you're not gonna not know what's going on in the game when I'm calling it
0: I would rather more detail than less detail right like especially when we're talking about radio and, and what a um What an incredible, I don't believe in coincidences, but that is fantastic that the fortune that you had to be placed with a blind producer, as you said, because everybody on radio is blind. I can't see the game. My favorite part about baseball is actually listening to baseball on the radio because I believe, I can't remember, this gentleman from WFAN, I can't remember his name, but he always says it's, it's the only sport you can watch on the radio because so many of the announcers, especially here in the New York city area, we're extremely very lucky. I mean, we had the legend, John Sterling, Howie Rose, I think is by far one of the best play by play announcers in all of, all of sports. I don't care which sport. And it's just so fun getting to listen to them kind of tell the story and weave in the details and what's happening all at the same time. And, and I can understand how, as you said, you, you have to be descriptive. You have to tell those stories. So with basketball, I mean, have you what sports have you not called out of curiosity <laughs> i said no to wrestling okay um pretty much every like every, every other yeah
1: every other mainstream sport i've done i did field hockey once i didn't lacrosse
0: once i've done lifeguard tournaments um some Wait, odd ones. Uh, volleyball I'm gonna have to stop you yeah, at lifeguard tournament what is a lifeguard tournament <laughs>
1: Well, there's there's lifeguards like in Asbury Park and Belmar and all these shore towns. And then they compete against each other rowing and swimming and and all. It's like the Olympics, but for lifeguards. Um, So that was actually my first gig on TV. I did sidelines for a lifeguard tournament and I had to interview these wet, sweaty guys as they came out of the water, all out of breath and then toss it back to the play by play announcer on the boardwalk. It was ridiculous. But everything else has been easier since then.
0: That is awesome. I've lived in New Jersey my entire life. I go to the beach outside of this year many, many times a year. Never heard or seen that. So maybe that's something that uh, I'll have to uh, have to watch. That sounds like it'd be fun to watch drinking a couple beers. So that might be something that I uh, uh, attend with you the next time it, it comes around, Dave. And, and again, you know, so so you've done all these sports. I mean, you know, we have baseball, which is nice and slow, and it's easy, and you have a lot of time to talk and fill a little time. As we've seen, it takes Zach Granke sometimes longer to throw a pitch than the actual Kentucky Derby race. That was a really fun overlay we had on the internet last year. But with that, I mean, which is outside of basketball, because I think that's the one you do the most. What is your favorite sport to call?
1: I love baseball. I mean, baseball is my first love. I think I'm probably best at basketball now because I, I do so many games every year. But baseball on the radio is is a love of mine. And uh, it's different. You know, baseball is different than the other sports. As you were talking about, Mike, it's... Baseball is an art, all of the other sports are a science. You know, if you're just a a competent play-by-play announcer, you can do basketball, you can do hockey, you can do football. There's it's it's very linear. You know, there's not a lot of time for side talk. There's not a lot of time for depth. You just have to call what's in front of you. Um, So as long as you memorize it and you do your homework and you have the numbers in front of you and you can be exciting and be accurate, you can do all of those other sports. But baseball on the radio, especially, um, it's a storytelling medium. And and I think it's for a young play by play announcer. And I do a a camp, you know, sports broadcasting camp in the summer for a young announcer. Baseball is the easiest to start because it's slow, Mm -hmm. as you mentioned. But baseball is the hardest to be great. You know, to really have a wide breadth of knowledge of all subjects. I mean, you really have to be a renaissance person uh, to do baseball well, in my opinion.
0: And so with that, you know, so what we were i actually just wrote down broadcasting camp because I did want to make sure to bring it up. And we'll get back to that in a second. But with that, like as an athlete, right, you study other athletes and what they're doing as a salesperson. You you watch videos and you practice and you do things as a play-by-play announcer is there just the great book of Vince Scully that everyone kind of just has to dive their face into and just learn and read everything that that guy did because i became a dodgers fan just by listening to Vince Scully and just just hearing all the just how incredible he was just sitting there by himself just talking to the audience enjoying it so i have to guess is he at the pinnacle of uh, of of your profession or was he he is he, he is and
1: was i mean he was he was the greatest i mean to to do the game by himself Um, and hold an audience captivated for three or four hours uh, the way baseball is played these days. Um, You know, just just hearing his voice um, alone, is it it brings you back to the days of the Brooklyn Dodgers and him broadcasting with Joe Garagiola on Game of the Week on NBC, and uh, his storytelling, his literacy, uh, just his humanity. Um, It was... There's nobody like him. Uh, That said, uh, my Seton Hall partner, Gary Cohen, John Miller, Bob Costas, a lot of that next generation that came after Scully and, and listen to Scully and listen to Marv Albert and listen to some uh, announcers of that generation. These guys have come along and they're fantastic. You know, Dan Shulman, uh, there's a lot of great uh, baseball announcers. The ones that I mentioned are probably uh, at the top of the heap and it's because they have great voices. They're well-rounded. They can get excited and they see the play like a half second before everybody else they can kind of anticipate and then play act it up you know like john miller maybe like uh you know here comes matt williams around first uh jones picks it up at the wall uh throw into second base williams slides and he's safe at second base and williams has himself a double with one out he like he acts Mm -hmm. it you know he, he, he makes it more than it is um so there are there are some that can do that and there are some that are that are adequate but if you're in the big leagues announcing you're pretty darn good
0: yes absolutely adios pelota just for a little uh (laughs) john miller there as well he is incredible i do miss him on the espn sunday night broadcast but it is just so much fun and and, you know getting getting to speak with someone like you again what is it like knowing that you are the the conduit between the fans that love their team and 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 playing that fine line you know you're the scene hall broadcaster so you can't You're not rooting against Seton Hall, right? Like, that's why I love the Mets announcers. They're not rooting against the Mets. They're not rooting for the Mets. Obviously, they're biased. Keith Hernandez, Ron Darling, Gary Cohen's been doing it for 20 years. So you could tell they want the Mets to win. But they are very honest. When someone screws up, they're just, Keith will hammer anybody. So how do you kind of walk that fine line knowing the fans are listening because they want their team to win, but you're there. You kind of have to be somewhat unbiased in this.
1: You do. Uh, when we do the Seton Hall games, I would say that we're 60 or 70 percent for Seton Hall or talking more about Seton Hall, maybe that much more excited about Seton Hall. But you never know who's listening. I mean, our games are on in New York. They're on nationally on Sirius XM and on the Internet and on every app. So um, it could be somebody that's just a fan of basketball, of the other team, of the Big East, of us as announcers. Who knows um, You know why they're listening to that game? But you have to call it straight enough so that if there's a bad call, against your team you have to say it you know i mean if there's a bad call for your team you have to say it uh questionable coaching move you have to say it now there's a way to say it where you don't get yourself in trouble uh but you have to be honest like you have to be honest with the audience i mean half of them are watching it on tv and listening to us anyway Mm -hmm. um so you you're not going to lie about it i mean you just you have to just um tell it like it is and um it depends on who you're working for. You know, I mean, I, I do the Northeast Conference games. And if Merrimack is playing fairly Dickinson, I don't care who who wins. And I'm playing it 50-50 straight down the middle. I get equally excited for both sides. If it's Seton Hall versus Marquette and Marquette hits a big game winning shot, I'm going to get excited, but less excited than if mm-hmm. it were
0: you know, Seton Hall. So it depends on on who's signing the paycheck and and who the audience is. I like that. I think that part is very important because again, you know, I, I want it to be honest, but at the same time, like I'm listening to a Mets broadcast, I'm listening to a Seton Hall broadcast. I want to hear Seton Hall win, of course. So obviously, skewing a little in that direction, I think, is pretty important. And so one thing I do want to kind of step back in time a little bit with your, you know, as you said, you went to Miami, you went to broadcast school down there, you got to learn a lot, you were able to do a lot on with the school through the radio, as you said, please if you would like give those call numbers again because I forgot them already.
1: Okay, it's W V U M. It's the it's a good student station.
0: Love it. And kudos to those kids that are still doing it down there. Hopefully are able to do it this upcoming season, but we will see what happens. One thing that's very interesting and I've had a couple play by play announcers on here, not quite to your ilk yet, but they'll get there and I'm very confident in it is you have to move around a lot, especially in the beginning and like really until you land one of these really, really high end jobs. You're going to be consistently, constantly moving just to get the next place, get more experience and continue to move up the pole. So I just wrote down a few of the places that you went from 1993, a little after you graduated school um, or right as you were graduating school to 1999. So in a six year span, you went from Florida to Iowa to New Jersey, back to Iowa to Texas, back to New Jersey. So that's one, two, three, four, five, six moves essentially in a six year span. That sucks, right? Like that doesn't sound like it's fun at all. Uh, Is that just the nature of the business? Is there really any other way around it? Or are you just kind of, if you're signing up for something like this at 16, you kind of have to realize like, hey, you're going to be doing a lot of moving. You're not going to be living at home for very long anytime soon. Yeah, uh, there are
1: not many announcers that, uh, you know, out of the womb, uh, are going to be on network TV like uh, Bob Costas and Ian Eagle in, in their 20s. So uh, a lot of the rest of us have to go out there and, and work our way up markets and grind and learn and make mistakes and and all of that stuff. So I wouldn't trade any of those experiences. Uh, it was not fun sometimes. Uh, it, it was fun sometimes. Uh, my first three years in Sioux City, I got to broadcast with uh, my best friend, Jim Fravola, Uh, who uh, was my broadcast partner in Miami for much of the time as well. And, and we had like a riotously good time. I mean, our broadcasts were fun and funny and it was cool. Um, My wife is a very patient person uh, because for me to go away for months at a time, you know, for a baseball season uh, was difficult, you know, doing the long distance thing. We're still together, you know, 30 years later and um, it's a miracle because um, some of those summers were really hard. You know, she couldn't come out for the whole summer, whatever. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, moving up from Sioux City to El Paso was a natural. Um, I mean, Sioux City to Des Moines, pardon me, uh, because that was AAA. Mm-hmm. Um, and even though it was less money, it was a bigger market. It's AAA for the Cubs. It was it was great. Uh, and then I actually moved up uh, to El Paso, which was uh, – a lower classification double a, but it was like a better job. It was a bigger market, more money. I was hosting a sports talk show in the afternoon. Oh, yeah. Uh, so it was, it was cool. And I got to travel to all of those games. So we flew to all these places that I never got to go, uh, to previously, you know, little rock in, in August is, uh, is fantastic and Midland, Texas. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Some interesting places, but, um, you know, I, I never would have seen those places if it weren't for that gig and, and uh, and my partner Matt Hicks, who's actually a broadcaster for the Texas Rangers right now, uh, he was my my partner that year in '97. So um, it's not easy. Uh, I don't know that I recommend it to uh, people that want to have a normal life and go to every wedding and funeral and uh, birthday and and all that stuff. You miss a lot of that uh, as a sportscaster. But um,
0: you know, there there are a lot of good parts too. I mean, who wants a normal life? Where's the fun in that? Come on, enjoy That's it. Do it, do if you enjoy something like you have, especially as you said, you felt like you were a natural since 16. I mean, you got to run with it, and clearly, it's gotten you pretty far. And and with that, I mean, at what point, and maybe maybe you still haven't reached that point. You tell me, at what point did you feel like, hey, I I made it, like I figured out what I'm doing, I'm getting better, I'm I'm good enough, I guess, quote unquote. At, did that ever happen at any point during your life, uh, during this this broadcasting career, of yours? You know, um, I've always felt that I was pretty
1: good, but I didn't feel like I was at the top level until a couple of years ago, until I was in my forties. And I think that is not uncommon. Uh, I think that I'm going to get better in my fifties because I'm going to know more. I'm going to have more experiences. uh, I'm going to have a a better internal database. uh, I'll be able to use my voice better. uh, All of it, you know, it's just, it's cumulative. So uh, as you go on, as long as you continue to work hard and get the reps, you get better. It's not like the athletes where they're done at age 33 mm-hmm. at 53. I'm hoping that I'm better than I was at 43. Um, so, uh, I don't think that I've made it. I mean, I, I don't broadcast full time for a living. I think at that point, if I'm with a team, a major league team or with a network where I'm, I'm that's all I do, I, I will feel like I've made it now mm-hmm. doing 70 or 80 games a year, various sports, um, you know, some triple A baseball in Buffalo, uh, a lot of college basketball. It's not enough to live on uh, at the level I want to live. Mm-hmm. So I have to do other things. So I, I think there is still the room to grow for me. And I, and I think that, um, you know, if you dropped me into any arena or stadium right now and said, hey, you know, you have a couple hours, get ready for this game and do a good job. I could do it.
0: I love it. Well, good for you, man. And you, you make a good point. Like it, it, we always look at sports and we realize, you know, athletes from 21 to 31, that's their prime. It's like, what other career is it like? Yeah. You, before your brain's fully developed and only a couple of years after is like, that's your prime. And then after that, you have to figure out something else to do. Of course, you're going to get better with time, especially if you work at it, like you have been your entire life by 50 by 60. I mean, as we said, Vince Scully, I mean, obviously, I'm, you know, 28 years old, so I didn't really have that much time with Vin Scully. But those last three or four years, I thought it was immaculate. Everything he said, I hung on every one of his words. And I'm sure he got better over time, right? I've enjoyed Howie Rose more, Gary Cohen more because over time, they're starting to bring up things that they said years ago or happened years ago that I can relate to and remember. It's like, I remember when Wilmer Flores cried on the field. Who the heck doesn't remember that? They bring it up all the time, which is funny, of course, but it's also something else, right?
1: Yeah, for sure. And, and it's like the your memory in life is like your memory on the air. Sometimes I won't remember what I had for breakfast, but I'll remember the relief pitcher that came into a game in 1993 in my first year in Sioux city. And that's just how the brain works and how a broadcast works sometimes. And uh, it's why you have to read and, and watch games and pay attention and uh, listen to other broadcasters because you just don't know, you know, especially in baseball, you don't know what's going to happen that day. Mm-hmm. You know, there could be a triple play. There could be somebody hitting four home runs. Perfect game you don't know perfect game. And and if you want to talk about Len Barker pitching a perfect game for the Cleveland Indians, you know, in 1984 or whatever that was 1990.
0: Um, you have to have, it's different. You know, you just have to be paying attention to it all the time. Well, now I have to ask, what is the coolest thing that you've got to call Like, What is the coolest event or the coolest experience that you've, you've been on the air calling for?
1: I think it was Seton Hall winning the big East tournament in 2016 um Seton Hall hadn't won anything in 23 years um they won the Big East regular season and the tournament in 93 so uh Gary Cohen had the big call at the end Isaiah Whitehead hits this driving shot banks it in he's going to go to the line to try to take the lead Kevin Willard falls down on the sideline he's so shocked you know the Seton Hall coach and Uh, Whitehead makes the free throw Seton Hall upsets Villanova the place goes nuts because it's it's the garden there's a lot of Seton Hall people there and Gary had the big call for Whitehead and and the ball went dink 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 and then fell through and after Gary was done with the call I was doing color I said that ball sat on the back of the rim for 23 years. Because that's what it felt like, you know, for Seton Hall fans. And then to go outside afterwards and to go to the bars in that neighborhood afterwards and, and see the band playing on the promenade outside the garden and all the Seton Hall people acting like they won the national championship, I felt so good because Seton Hall had been so good to us. I mean, it's my 18th year coming up with them and with Gary. And Seton Hall's been so good to us and the fans love us and it's fun and it's good to have that connection. So when, when your guys win, finally, it's like, uh, it was a relief and, and it was, it was a fun event and, and, and the aftermath
0: was, was cool also outside. That must've been incredible. Great call too on the river for 23 years that's fantastic kudos to you it's like you're a professional or something and <laughs> just out of curiosity 2016 didn't villanova actually win the national championship that year yeah they did
1: yeah we were that's the cool. last team to beat them
0: yeah look at that that's pretty sweet uh i love that yeah. and then they lost the first round of wisconsin i think the next year something or the second round something weird like that but then um, won the yeah. national championship yeah. again right <laughs> yeah, at least they beat uh unc that first one that was bang that was another one Jay right calling bang i thought that was fantastic but that's yeah, a, a whole other one. Yep. Oh, but, um, with uh going back to to the just the, the the journey and again how you get to this point to be able to call that amazing amazing opportunity with gary cohen again one of my favorites which i think is really cool as we were saying before you have to move you have to do a lot of things you have to be away from your wife you have to be away from your family for a very long time have you seen this weed out, I guess, for lack of a better term, some just incredible, incredible announcers that just did not have the... And I can't really blame anyone moving six times to multiple states in, in a span of a few years. That sucks, as I said before. Have you seen that weed out some pretty incredible play-by-play announcers that just could not deal with that aspect of it? Yeah, there's no doubt. Um, now some of the better ones, they
1: they click right away. You know, like Gary was in the minor leagues like three years before he made the Mets, mm-hmm. and he said... Uh, to me privately that if it would have gone another year or two, I would have quit. Wow. You know, he, he would not have stuck it out in the minor leagues because it's just, it's so arduous. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, and, and the payday is not there and all those other reasons. Uh, and I'm sure that it it does. You know, I mean, I can, there's somebody that comes to mind at Miami right now who was a natural, but this guy went on and he did something in finance and he made all kinds of money and he, you know, he has a different kind of life and, and that's what he valued you know, at that time. And I think it's worked out fine for him, but he was really good at it. Mm -hmm. You know, he was really good at it. And there's another guy, uh, he's actually (laughs) Ron Berkowitz, uh, who has been on TV some, and he's A-Rod and uh, Jay-Z's PR guy. And he's still in sports. He still gets the fix. He's a, you know, big Miami booster and all that stuff. He was a very good broadcaster and still is, I'm sure. But he chose a different path. You know, he went with like PR agent type stuff. And uh, and that's worked out great for him. I mean, he has a a huge company. So, yes, you know, I mean, it's it's a lot of dues to pay and a lot of tarps to pull and mascot costumes to wear and tickets to sell and all the stuff that you have to do in minor league sports and in college sports if you're also going to do the game. So. Uh, it's, it's a lot of sacrifice.
0: And I'm very excited to talk to you. Uh, just as a, an aside, you were an assistant GM for the Newark Bears while the play-by-play announcer. So I'm very excited to get to the other other side of your life. But there's just a couple more questions I have on the play-by-play side first. So obviously, uh, one thing that we've seen a lot more with COVID rising, uh, unfortunately, is the fact that uh, we really didn't have any sports. So you and, and many of your counterparts obviously didn't have too too much to do for a while, which just sucks for everybody. But we're seeing a lot more in studio announcing right like the ESPN broadcast I don't think they're going to any of these Sunday night games they're just doing it all from the studio some of them sure. are doing it from their house I mean we see um the the we had the the KBO broadcast I was watching all the KBO games in the beginning because shoot we had nothing else to watch and we saw all you know hit Boog and, and Carl Rapp. they're all water Perez they're all in different places announcing these games now you can tell it doesn't quite flow as well as you'd like but if they were in one place say you know bristol or whatever just calling it probably be much better do you think that's going to completely change or or change significantly the play-by-play game going forward understanding that if we don't need to send people places we could do a a minus type job at home do you think that's something that's going to change and allow more people to enter this type of industry
1: I don't know if it's going to let more people enter the industry. I mean, there obviously have been uh, more opportunities for people mm-hmm. as all of these colleges and, and minor sports teams uh, broadcast everything, you know, at, at lesser quality, three and four camera shoots, less than that. Um, I don't know where it's going to go after COVID. I think this is what we're going to see uh, mm-hmm. until next year at this time, you know, maybe. Um they tried ESPN tried uh, for a couple years to have some announcers be back in Bristol or Charlotte and do the game from there. And sometimes you could tell, sometimes you couldn't tell. Uh, They would send the production people to the site. And then at some point, some of the network started to reverse that and they started to send the talent to the site and the production people would cut the game from back in the studio Because I think it's more important for the talent to be on site, especially for basketball Mm -hmm. uh, and for, you know, certain sports like that, where there's a lot that goes on that you have to talk to the officials. You have to talk to the table Um, there. You want to be able to look over at the bench or look to somebody that's walking off the court. And if the if the camera people are not showing you that you can't give it to the audience. So being in the arena, there's no substitute for that, you know, and you say a minus, I think that's probably right. You know, I think it might be even a B where you, you kind of lose it. You know, you hear Matt Vasgersian; and he's doing a fantastic job on those games on Sunday night, but he can't quite get as excited as if mm-hmm. there were 50,000 people there and yeah. you have to bring your level up to the crowd. It's just not quite the same because it feels stilted in the studio. Now, if he's sitting there next to A-Rod, which it seems like he is, um, That's a lot better than some of the broadcasts I've seen where somebody's you know, in Ohio, somebody else is in Connecticut, and you're trying not to step on each other. You don't know when they're going to talk. I mean, that can be a mess, um, especially with the delay. But um, I'm not sure where it's going. I I hope they don't take announcers away from being on site. But There's so much that you glean an hour before the game, talking to the trainer, talking to the coaches, talking to a player as they're warming up, talking to the other announcers. That's where – even though you do all your prep with your stats and your numbers and all that stuff, that stuff in the last hour will almost always make air and be more useful to the audience than all the other stuff that you prepared for three days.
0: Oh, that's interesting. See, I didn't know that. Like, I obviously realized you would talk to some of the players and do things. A good friend of mine is an executive producer for Fox, and he brought me into the booth a couple times in the truck to see what's going on. So hung out with Kenny Albert and and, uh, Daryl Johnson a little bit, watched them call a game, which was a lot of fun. And it was it was cool just to see them on the field. just kind of, you know. Shaking hands, kissing babies kind of thing with the players, the coaches, see what's going on. And it was really interesting. Now, I don't remember exactly what those conversations were about and what made it onto air there. But it was still very cool to watch and to see and to hear. And I agree with you. Like, I, I can't really say too much for the production side. I've had the opportunity to interview some people and it's, it's really interesting what they do. But I agree, like, especially when fans are back. You need that. And because you I mean, you've been to these big, gigantic games. Obviously, the, the Seton Hall win in 2016 there's an energy, man. And like I don't know what that emotion is. I was at the Mets World Series in 2015 when they won that one game. Thankfully, I've never felt that feeling before. And, you know, being a Mets fan, I don't think I'm ever going to feel that feeling again. But there was something there. And I loved it. And I got up for it. And I've never felt that ever again. And it's just an incredible feeling that you can feed off of, I believe, energy and, you know, all that stuff. So it's it's very, very cool and very interesting. But I appreciate this side of the conversation, Dave, but there's a lot more to you than just being a play-by-play announcer. As you said, it is not your, you know, one day when it does become your full-time gig, I would love to have you back on again and we can talk about, you know, whatever the heck you're doing, but you also have some other stuff you're doing. So let's, let's kind of transition this real nice. I think this is what they call in the business a segue. So you also work for the broadcast, uh, the sports broadcasting camp with our good friend, David sorodi If you haven't listened to his episode, everybody go back into the, the files and check it out. He's a good dude. So he has this broadcasting camp that you're a part of, and you help all these young kids, as you were talking about before. How cool is it to get to see these kids that at a young age, some very young, are really interested in trying to become broadcasters, which, again, is just something that's been ingrained in your life since you were 16?
1: It's very fulfilling. It's become my favorite week of the year. And this year, we weren't sure if we were going to do the camp at all. And we decided to do it virtually. And we had... Even more kids sign up this year than we did last year. Wow. Uh, Tim Capstraw, the Brooklyn Nets color commentator, and my partner on the Northeast Conference TV games uh, did the camp with me, along with some other uh, you know, great coaches um, that we had, like Craig D'Amico, uh, who does uh, Northeast Conference games, and, and a couple other announcers. And we, uh, we reinvented it. You know, We came up with a lot of exercises that they could do and record off their laptop, just like we're doing right now. And they did talk shows, they did play-by-play, they did anchoring, teleprompter stuff, interviewing. Uh, it was fantastic. And then we had speakers too, so we had like Ian Eagle and Gary mm-hmm. Cohen and Sarah Kustock and Jared Greenberg and Kenny Albert and all these great uh, announcers. So they got the perspective of what it's like, you know, at the highest level. But then they also got some basic instruction from us, and they got to do it. So uh, it's great. We're going to do more of them over the winter. We're going to do some mini camps starting in October, and um, we really feel like. Um, two-thirds of the kids, we surveyed the kids afterwards, the returners from the year before that, that did it in person at Montclair State, two-thirds of the kids this year said they preferred the virtual to the yeah. in-person, which was shocking to me. I mean, I, I couldn't believe it. And um, it, it just gave us the impetus to want to do it more for them because their life is weird now too. and And they're probably out of sorts and depressed and need something that is going to be challenging for them and fun for them. And they may not be able to play sports, some of them this year. And a lot of them do play sports in addition to wanting to be announcers. So, um,
0: you know, it's kind of a service to them, but it's a service to us as well. We really enjoy it. That is awesome. And that it's kind of confusing. I mean, granted I've driven to Montclair state before and not a fun place to drive around. So maybe they're just (laughs) don't want to be in the car with their parents while they're angry, yelling at all the traffic that could be part of it. But that is really interesting. I mean, I mean, if that's the way they like, give the people what they want, right? That's Mm -hmm. how they want it. You can do it even more often. You can do it from your home. They can do it from theirs. Everybody's happier and, and you guys can do exactly what you need there. But you also have a lot of other things that you're doing as well. So just a couple things from your background along the way, as you said, in minor league baseball, you're not just the play by play announcer, you're selling tickets uh for the the nets actually i think they were still in new jersey at that time too so it was a little a little while ago um you were the assistant gm as i said for the newark bears while also being the announcer you worked in media strategy you had your own business positive impact partners along with what you're doing now at hilltop which we'll get to in a second but why, like, why do you have to do all these things? Like partnership sales, sponsorship sales. Why is this a necessity for minor league baseball teams? It's just because they don't have the budget. And if you're you know, lucky enough to call the game, you're also lucky enough to sell some tickets for them as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's the need to make more money, but it's also the leverage that the general manager has. They say, okay, we we have enough money for this one spot. Um, people really want to be the announcer. They'll get 100 resumes for that. You'll get people that will also do another job mm-hmm. you know, for the team while they're the announcer. Maybe they're the PR uh, director and they do the game notes. Maybe they sell sponsorships. And, and I've had to do all those things. Um, got to. You
0: got to do all those things.
1: Got to do all those things. Yeah, and really, um, if I didn't get to do all of those things, I wouldn't be able to you know, own two different marketing and event companies later in life and have that broad of a skill set uh, that I could you know, be a freelance writer and and some of the other things that I've been able to do um, because I was I was thrown into that fire. So it was fun. It's a bunker mentality that some of those people that I worked with um, on those jobs because you're around them home and road so much, they become your best friends. You know, I I still talk to 10 people or more. I I talked to somebody just before this call um, that I hired in that assistant GM role for the Bears. Uh, He now works for the New York Giants. You know, and, and somebody else that worked for me there works for the Yankees. And a lot of the people are still in the business and I still keep in touch with them. And, and you, you make friends in
0: situations like that. I love that. that. That is pretty cool. And, and, you know, getting that opportunity. And I do want to stick to that GM position at the Bears for a second. What is it like having to talk to these players, making them feel like the best thing since sliced bread, and then having to go on air and being like, oh, this is a bad game today for the Bears, everybody? I mean, how did you walk that fine line of not pissing off the players? But again, as we said, you have to be unbiased in some capacity, right?
1: Yeah, um, my assistant GM capacity, some of it was player related, but that part of it, was more of a PR stunt. Honestly, Mm -hmm. Um, we had four players that were related to major leaguers. So we had Ozzy Canseco. We had Russ Chambliss, Chris Chambliss, son. And we had a couple other guys like that, um, that were related to current or former big leaguers. So we got a story in sports illustrated. Like we were trying to sell tickets. We were trying Mm -hmm. to get attention for the team. So that was like my contribution to the, to the roster is that, okay, if you have two third basemen that are equal, why would you not bring in Craig Worthington that played for the Orioles versus some kid on the way up that nobody's ever heard of? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I was trying to push that and, and give the roster some personality and some story. Um, and then on the other side, I was just hiring people on the business side. So the sponsorship mm-hmm. people, PR, marketing, game entertainment, much of the staff, you know, I was able to interview, hire um, designers and you name it, uh, you know, kind of help put together the, the front office side. Mm-hmm. and, um, that was great. I mean, that was really educational and, uh, we had it go in there for a couple of years. I mean, the team and the stadium do not exist anymore. That was, that was 20 years ago. And a lot of those teams have gone away. Um,
0: but you know, for the first couple of years, uh, that I was there, um, we did great. It's, it's interesting. Newark bears. Um, I, my mom, It was in the middle of summer and my brother and I were supposed to go to camp or we were supposed to go somewhere or something like go to a baseball game. And my uncle actually works for the Somerset Patriots currently still and he called my mom up he's like you guys have to come to the stadium today my mom's like why what's up he's like he's like jose canseco's on the newark bears and they're playing today and my mom's like oh my god we gotta go so me and my brother and whoever the heck were with us my mom just took us down to to somerset's uh patriots td bank ballpark and got to watch jose canseco at the time i was like okay like this is cool like i know this guy hits home runs but not a big deal um looking back on it, it was a pretty funny moment. Uh, and it's always interesting to see stuff like that, right? Like, so again, I live really close to the Somerset, uh, Patriots stadium here right now. And I was at a game last year and Mets legend, Andy Chavez was there. And I was just like blown out of my mind. I'm sitting front row. I'm watching this guy swing. He has one of the greatest catches in all Mets history right there. Right. Um, Josh Toley was playing there as well, caught both of our Dickey's one hitters in those back-to-back games. So it was it's so cool. As you said, it's really interesting getting to see these former big league players. Now, you know, I pay 10 bucks to get into the stadium, buy a hot dog and a beer for another five. And now I can see some of these legends that I grew up with, which is just such a cool opportunity. It sounds like you guys were able to uh, take advantage of that back in the 90s, too. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, even in the Northern League, uh, the first couple
1: of years, Mike Vec and uh, the St. Saint Paul Saints um, you know, we had Pedro Guerrero in that league. We had Leon Durham. Uh, Daryl Strawberry was in that league. Wow. Uh, Oil Can Boyd. Uh, that's the beauty of independent baseball. You can sign whoever you want and uh, you can make the roster uh, whatever you want it to be and make it interesting to your fan base. And, and the guys hang around. Mm-hmm. Uh, more than one year very often. So you could get a fan favorite in St. Paul that plays three or four years for that team that's still good. You know, maybe it's a former major leaguer that's now a double to triple A caliber player um, that's not embarrassing himself, that just wants to keep playing. Yeah. You know, Rick, Ricky Henderson played for the Bears after he retired from the big leagues. Yep. Uh, not that even technically, I don't know if he's retired yet, but <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that was the beauty of independent baseball and I was in a couple of those leagues. And it was fun for the fans, you know, and there's a a special you should check out if you haven't already on Netflix about the Portland Mavericks back in the 70s. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, Bing Russell was the owner's name. He's Kurt Russell's father. He's a famous actor himself. And he bought this team and it was the only independent team in the Northwest League. And he put all these characters on the team and they started selling a lot of tickets and started winning a lot of games because – He did it his own way, and Mm -hmm. I felt like that was a a cool movie and a compelling documentary.
0: That is fun, yeah. Independent baseball, you know, obviously we're not going to – It's I think that's going to suffer the most, unfortunately, because just about all the revenue has to come from, uh, you know, being – in the stadium and and having fans come to the, to the ballpark. So it is is very unfortunate, but independent baseball is so much fun. You know, again, just being here uh, in New Jersey, I'm very lucky being very, so close to a stadium again, having a family member that's worked there for, it feels like a well over 20 years at this point. It's just so cool to see again, these legends, but also some of these young guys. And again, it's, It's a nice thing to do. You want to go to a game. I don't want to go all the way to the seven line to get, you know, the LIRR just to go to a Mets game to watch them lose, spend $150 on those tickets. I'll go to the Somerset Patriots, leave after the seventh inning, have two beers, two hot dogs and a ticket for under, what, 25 bucks. That's not that bad. That's not that bad. And we need to do some more of that. But as you said, with all of these opportunities along the way that you got to do with you know being the play-by-play guy they needed all these other opportunities and you were lucky enough to do them this then allowed you to do a lot of other things in your career so i do want to talk a little bit about hilltop management which is the company that you own which is marketing which is event management which is consulting i guess at what point did you realize that okay i'm I still haven't gotten that that you know immaculate job in this play by play. I do need another way to supplement my income, as you said, to live the way you want to live. At what point do you realize, like, okay, let me I, I have all this knowledge, all this experience from all these other places I've been. Let's just put them together and start helping other people so that way you can, you know, A, help other people, but B be able to supplement the income to get to where you want to be. I realized that about two weeks after I left the Bears. And I needed oh, to gosh. so it's uh it's been a couple minutes, huh?
1: Yeah. Um, Michael Rowe and Jim Lamparello, two guys that I worked for at the Nets who ran the team, um, started up an agency uh, that was right down the street uh, from the Nets office. And they started gathering clients like Army and Army Athletics and Seton Hall and some of the minor league teams in the area, uh, the New York Liberty, the Red Bulls, uh, things like that. And um, they needed somebody that had a, a wide skill set, you know, the kind of a utility guy that they could throw in there and, um, and take care of it. And, and I was that person, you know, for a while. And then, you know, Jim and I became partners, uh, in, in a business right after that, I did that for 10 years and then started Hilltop about seven years ago. And we had a wide variety of clients from AVP pro beach volleyball to, you know, college sports, minor league baseball, you name it. The bears ended up becoming a client later on Seton hall as well. Um, so, those were all good learning experiences, you know, on on how to market, how to sell, um, how to move the needle for some of these people that needed an outsource that couldn't do it with with who they had internally, um, and we had some of this experience, you know, at the NBA level and at and
0: at other levels um, that were useful to them. So it was all fun, you know, it was it was all good. That is awesome. And and so I guess who, who are some of the places that you're working with or some of the places that you've been recently working with to help, especially during this weird time that we're in right now?
1: Yeah, uh, a lot of the stuff in the past uh, seven years with Hilltop has been uh, athletic events, but for nonprofits. So fundraisers. Mm-hmm. So walks, runs, spinning, golf, galas, all of these things that they raise money for like you know ALS, Lou Gehrig's mm-hmm. disease, American Lung Association, Susan G. Komen. Um, Crohn's and colitis, things like that. That was a big part of our uh, business for a while until COVID. And, you know, we also did video production. So that was just an extension of my broadcasting, you know, to be able to write and voice that stuff and produce these pieces for, you know, different clients that have communication needs, because you still need to reach customers. You still need to reach employees. Um, So whether it's internal or external communications, um, if you can tell a story, whether it be writing broadcasting whatever um there's a place for you you know in the ecosystem now uh you still need to be able to communicate your story and your brand uh to people in the world mm-hmm. so um that's kind of where i am i'm doing some writing i'm doing some video production and uh the broadcast camp thing and it's evolving you know i'm having to pivot like everybody else um in a business where you know they shut down the walks. They shut down the games. They shut down a lot of the stuff that we do. So, you know, you come up with other things and you try to use, you know, the broad skill set that we talked about to, to make it work.
0: Good for you, man. And keep keep it going, especially in that nonprofit space. I think that is absolutely fantastic and going to have to come up with some interesting ideas for the foreseeable future, hopefully. But as we've already noticed, uh, you're pretty darn good at that. And uh, hopefully seeing Hall Games come back soon. This uh, this is, Do we know what's happening with the Big East yet? Have they said anything about basketball? Uh, I I spoke with the big East recently
1: and they're committed to playing, uh, whether it be in a, you know, Kevin Willard was quoted in the New York post today, I believe, or yesterday uh, saying, you know, hard bubble, soft bubble, you know, keep the kids on campus, uh, over Christmas break, try to get a lot of games. in. then there's Mm -hmm. a bunch of different concepts. I think they're going to play college basketball. I don't think they'll play a full season, um, but close, maybe, um, they need the tournament. I mean, college conferences and the schools desperately need, the NCAA tournament, or you're going to lose all these Olympic sports. You're going to lose a lot of the front office people that work in athletic departments. Um, you, you need that revenue. You know, if you're going to survive at the, at the conference level and, and all of these individual schools. So they have to figure it out. If it's a bubble, it's a bubble. It's worked for the NBA and the WNBA. So I don't see why it wouldn't work uh, for college basketball. Obviously it's a big sacrifice for the the student athletes, for the coaches you know, to be away from their families for, you know, a month or two at a time. Uh, but they they went there for a reason. Like the guys that went to Seton Hall, yeah. are they students? Yes. Are they athletes? Very much so. You know, they want to play basketball. So um, I think everybody has a vested interest in getting these games in. And I'm hoping whether, you know, we're in a studio or, uh, you know, we're in the bubble or whatever, that, that we get to do the games because it's what we love to do.
0: I love it. That is fantastic. And yeah, shout out, shout out to those kids. Hopefully we do figure it out. I, uh, I love college basketball and missed Mars madness. So, so, so much this year. That was probably my least favorite part about all this, but with that being said, so it sounds like you have a lot of stuff to do. Um, and some of your job takes place in that more normal nine to five or probably closer to like a seven to three time range. And then the other half of your job takes place with the pre-production meeting and then the actual games itself. What does a normal day in the life of Dave Popkin look like cuz it sounds like that baby is like a solid like 18 hours long.
1: Yeah, um during basketball season it gets kind of crazy uh with The travel, but technology helps. I mean, I, you know, I've got a hotspot. I'll work wherever I am. If I'm waiting for, you know, a plane, if I'm, you know, waiting, if I'm working on the train, I, I use the train a lot. It's, it's helpful. I can get my regular work done and I can get my game prep done as we, you know, go down to Georgetown or up to Providence or things like that. So you find ways around it. And to me, it really doesn't feel like work, the things that I do, you know, whether it's my day job or the games. So it's all just part of who I am. So if some days I work two hours and other days I work eighteen hours, it's all good. Like I, I, I don't feel um, run down, put upon. I don't feel run down. I, I don't. Um, I think it's it's stranger for me now because it's not as busy as it was. Mm-hmm. You know, because I don't have the game element. Uh, I'm not, you know, having coffee in the media room at six p.m. so that I can stay up for the you know the eight forty five tip on Fox. Um, and that kind of thing. Um, that's exciting. You know, that, that, that's fun to go out and do that and to, to perform the, the, the show and, and all of that. So, um, and I also miss the end of the season. Like my whole life has been a season. Okay. Baseball season's over. Now I'm going into the nets and I'm going into college basketball. Then that ends. And I get to kind of clear the register and, and do something new now COVID it's like every day is the same. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? yep. So that part is hard. Um, but, In terms of the the overall workload and and stuff, I I don't mind.
0: I love it, man. And good for you. You figured out what you wanted to do at a very young age, and you ran with it. Um, I just figured out I want to talk into this microphone as much as I can, and I've been having some fun doing it. And thank you for coming on, Dave, for allowing me to do that for a little while. Where can everyone find you on the internet? Uh, They can find me. uh,
1: DavePopkin.com is my personal broadcast website. Hilltopman.com is uh, my business website. At DavePopkin on Twitter. Uh, it's probably the best way. Also, uh, you can certainly, you know, DM me on there, and um, my phone number is on the website as well. So, uh, if you need me for anything, but you, you do a great show. Uh, you Thank certainly have a, a bright future in broadcasting if that's what you want to do because it's, uh, it's, it's good content.
0: Cross your fingers for me, Dave. And I do have one last question now that you bring up Twitter. It's the worst place on planet Earth, and I hate every single thing about it. But man, after like a good game or a bad game, do you notice the, uh, the messages? Um, have a little bit more of an emotion to them potentially towards you, whether you did anything or not. They call them fans because it's short for fanatic. Yes, sir. <laughs> I like that um, answer. Yeah, no,
1: I, I don't pay attention to the negative stuff too much. You know, I follow it for news. I follow it for
0: politics, honestly. Um, you know, I want to say- You don't like negative though. You, those two words, politics and negative, they're practically synonymous at this point. I
1: know, but it's a way to stay aware. I you know, I, I like Twitter and I, stay to, I try to stay out of trouble on Twitter.
0: Love it. Good stuff. Good for you, man. So yes, make sure to go follow Dave there. I will have both those websites. I will have your Twitter in the um, show notes for the podcast, as well as on YouTube, which we're on right now. Thank you very much, Dave. I sincerely appreciate Dave Popkin, CEO of Hilltop Management, play-by-play announcer, uh, career play-by-play announcer. Absolutely fantastic. Really appreciate your time today, man. Mike, thanks so much. Appreciate it.